0: Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to um, say, uh, You're great, God, and our desire is to live more for You. Lord Jesus, speak to us, we pray, by Your word. And uh, yeah, just speak to us and lead us on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing tonight in our series of Galatians, on Galatians. Um, it's been good, it's very challenging. Uh, to preach from it 's like you keep digging and you just kind of there 's no end, so you 've got to pull up somewhere. Um, there is an, a, an amazing inheritance um, that 's available to us in God, and I reckon if we could uh, more deeply, more fully grasp it, it would make even the most suppressed Australian male dance and sing for joy. Um, I was watching a show, I think it was Four Corners, and there was this guy called Len Ainsworth, and he'd um, developed this gaming machine company um, that made him a multi-billionaire. The, co- the company today, uh, I think it's called Aristocrat, Aristocrat, something rather, whatever, who cares, um, earns between 200 and $250 million a year. Now, when he handed over his company to his family, they inherited this massive amount of money, a ridiculous amount of money. But the inheritance that Len Ainsworth left his family is nothing on what God um, wants to give to us. The inheritance from God is having peace with God, instead of having the wrath of God destroy us. It's being able to live eternally in the presence of this awesome God, dwelling in the presence of the all-powerful one, of the all-knowing one, dwelling in the presence for eternity of the one who is defined as love. And the one who is defined as life. Instead of living eternally in the darkness, away from God. This is an awesome inheritance. And it relates to living in the presence of God. And we can start to receive it now. Not just when we die. And God says any person, any person in the whole world can receive this from him. Any person can receive it. That is anyone that God deems, that God declares righteous. Anyone who God declares has not sinned or rebelled against him. Such a person has right relationship with God and therefore they will live in his presence for all eternity. They will inherit the blessing and the abundance that comes with that. Here is the question, my question for all of us here tonight. Who are you going to depend on to enter into the presence of God and therefore receive your inheritance? Yourself and your own ability to um, become good enough or right enough? Or are you going to depend on God and his promise? Who are you going to depend on is a question for us to Grapple with. In tonight's passage from Galatians, Paul is once again taking it to the churches in the province of Galatia, the the region we know now as um, modern day Turkey. And the same question Paul is putting to them Who are you depending on for your inheritance with God? Your own abilities or God's unchangeable promise? To Paul, it's a no brainer. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to. Galatians chapter 3 and it's always great to bring your Bibles to church because every time the guy gets up and speaks they're going to say if you've got your Bibles with you and it's great for you to follow along so if heretical liar Phil gets up to speak you know where he's going wrong because sometimes I throw him in there just for the sake of it not Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 15 I'm going to read to verse 25. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scriptures does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Woo. Lots going on in that. If your head's spinning, it's probably a good place to start it. Um, We're going to unpack it, people, so jump on the ride. The first thing you read when you look at the first section from 15 to 18 is that God is basically saying, who can you depend on? You can depend on God and his unchangeable promise. God makes a promise to Abraham, a promise that is, we read in verse 15, it's as unchangeable as a human last will and testament. Someone makes a will, they croak it, you can't change it. And he's saying this is how certain and unchangeable this promise is. And the promise went something like this. Back in Genesis 12, 1 or 2, God said this to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. This is Phil Week's paraphrase. I'm going to bless you with an inheritance, Abraham. I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless them with the same inheritance. I'm going to bless you. And now back in Genesis 12, at the beginning of the Bible, the inheritance being promised to Abraham was really that he and the people that would come about, that they would inherit the promised land. So a physical geographical area of dirt. The amazing thing was though, that the promised inheritance Back in Genesis 12, it wasn't just given to Abraham and to his descendants, who would later be called Israel or the Jewish people. No, at the same time, God was promising Abraham, he was looking forward to Jesus Christ and to all those people who would become Jesus' own by putting their faith in him. God, in this way, um, was making a promise Way back in Genesis, this is like 2,000 years before Christ, he's actually making a promise to people like you and I. People who are living in 2008. People who put their faith in Jesus. But the amazing thing is the promise just doesn't refer to land either. That At that point that God was making the promise, he was actually saying, he wasn't talking about a physical inheritance of land, he was talking about more than that. He was talking about this spiritual inheritance, that which I kind of communicated at the start. Verse 3 in Genesis 12. This is like 2,000 years before Christ. God says, Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And hear this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a foretaste of Jesus Christ. This is amazing. It's amazing that he was thinking about us you and I. He was thinking about the people of Wodonga, that they could actually be partakers of this promise. There's really one major point at the beginning here for us here to get our heads around and our hearts around. And the point is this. Don't depend on yourself for your inheritance from God. Don't depend on yourself or whatever good things you can do, whatever level of goodness or righteousness righteousness you can attain. No, Depend on God and His unchangeable promise. Now, this is so counterintuitive. It's so not the way we think it should be. It's counterintuitive because as people, we know we, we feel like we have to add something to the transaction. As humans, we feel like I can do it, I can do it myself. We don't like to feel like we have to depend on anybody. We have this drive towards independence. Now, we know help can be good, but as people, we strive to work it out by ourselves. This is certainly true for the young adult um, who just wants to do what they want to do without anybody else's uh, whatever. It's true for the child who at times will... You know, the parent wants to help out, the child says no, and they dogmatically want to kind of just do it by themselves. It's probably a good learning process too. And it's true for the adult who's got these problems they know they have, but they just feel like they can't ask for help because they want to work it out by themselves. So when it comes to our relationship with God, I guarantee that many of us feel secure in our relationship with God when we're doing the right things. So somehow we believe that our inheritance is not just based on faith in Jesus Christ, but it's actually up to us to really live a good enough life, to do good enough stuff so that God would accept us. Because we know there's a standard. We know there's a certain standard of goodness or righteousness, so we do our best to kind of um, meet God's standard, to become righteous, if you like, in his sight. I wonder, do you operate a bit like this? Like, and the question is, do you only feel secure in your faith? So are you only confident in your relationship with God when you're doing the right things. I wonder if that's you. I reckon it'd be brilliant little research tonight if we did a survey of everyone in this room tonight, everyone in this building, And if everyone felt comfortable enough... I'm not going to do it, don't worry. (laughs) If everyone felt comfortable enough to give an honest answer about, do you feel secure in your faith tonight? And, you know, based on what you're doing, if you're doing the right things. That would be fascinating. Because I reckon that we'd be surprised about how many people are just uncertain. And it's based on, oh, I've just mucked up today. Or I really failed here. And you're just thinking, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Because I just mucked up. And what it's saying is, your confidence in your salvation, in your inheritance, in your relationship with God's based on what you do. God's saying tonight, depend only on God and his unchangeable promise. Depend only on God and his unchangeable promise. God made this promise to Abraham roughly 2000 BC. And this promise, as we know now, includes this in our spirit, spiritual inheritance for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, including us today. He made the promise two thousand years ago to Abraham, and it's kind of like this righteousness by faith model. And then four hundred years later, the law is introduced. The law is introduced, and the law is like the hand of God writing on stone and you know, kind of these you know cloth parchments. The very law of God, the very standard of God. What he sees as righteous. And he writes it down and he gives it to the people. The very standard of righteousness in the hands of people. Now this could be a little confusing for people. God has just said, don't depend on yourself. You can't become righteous. You can't work at it in your own ability because you're not good enough. And then he gives them this law. And it's, you could understand it as being, you know, like, God, what are you doing? Are you now saying that, hey, I'm giving you this law, I'm giving you my standards so that you know what you have to do to become righteous. And that you've actually got the power to follow this law to become righteous in my sight. So that therefore you can have relationship and inheritance. Is that what he's saying here? He's like giving it to us saying, you can do that now. Depend on yourself. It's not quite right. Look with me back at uh, verse 19, if you will. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seeds of whom the promise had had referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. And Let's leave it there at verse 21. What God is doing by introducing the law Uh, and giving us this standard, he's, he's making two main points. And we'll look, and in verse 19, we see the first point that he's making. It's to demonstrate that we as people can't cut the mustard. Interesting saying, can't cut the mustard pretty much means you can't succeed. You cannot meet God's expectations. God reveals his standard, look at verse 19, because of transgressions. Transgressions is sin. And the meaning behind because of transgression goes something like this. People are sinning against God. People live lives that don't please God. People live lives in a way that God actually is not pleased with at all. So that when God looks at people, when God looks at the life of a person, he doesn't see anyone living a righteous life. And of course, the great irony is that people, as they live their life, they actually think they're doing pretty good. We as people might think we're doing all right. We might even think that God looks at us and he goes, you're righteous, you're living a good life. And We might even think that he does see us as a righteous person. But people have kind of deceived themselves. So when verse 19 says he's given us his law, his standards, because of transgressions, God is giving it to people so that we will see how miserable and rubbish we are at meeting God's law. A person who reads God's law will read it and they'll realise, I really suck at being righteous. I fail miserably. So he introduces a law to demonstrate that you and I can't cut the mustard. Now, this should be really obvious um, we really do like to work things out for ourselves and perhaps the majority of us, I like to think, are trying to get better as people. So we try and do this. But you know and I know that we muck up on a regular basis. You and I, you and I both know we can't actually do it. I myself fail regularly. There are times as a husband or a father that the people I should love the most, my wife and my children, I fail them. I do something stupid. I say something stupid. And I sin against my family. I sin against God. If you try and depend on your own strength and your own ability to live God's way, you very quickly realise you can't. You can't do it. I challenge you even that um, if you are here tonight and you think, ah no, I can work it out. I'm good enough. I challenge you to actually grab a hold of the Bible and and read the first five books. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which is the law. Read it, understand what it is, and have a crack at doing it. And I guarantee you will miss the mark. And if you're here tonight and you're going, I couldn't be bothered trying it anyway, or more importantly, you don't care about God's standard for living, you prove the point as well. Depending on yourself, will never cut the mustard. So, that's what the first reason why God introduces a law. Uh, the second point we can read um, if we keep going from verse uh, 22. It says, The Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So as well as God saying, so he said, mate, it's a promise. You've just got to believe. You've just got to put your faith in me. And he's given the law to actually prove that we don't cut the mustard. He now goes to this other angle, which is, his, the law is given so that to, to demonstrate to us our need for Jesus Christ. God is demonstrating that we need Jesus Christ through the giving of the law. Now, as a person who knows what God's standard is and tries to live the standard, it becomes clear you can't cut the mustard, you can't depend on yourself. And you realise that because it's so hard to get out of it, you realise you're in prison to it. Because if you weren't in prison to it, you'd be able to stop doing it, surely. But although you can see what it is you should be doing, the standard by which you should be living, you can't do it. You're held captive. And the point God is trying to make when we're going, I can't get out of it, I can't become righteous in God's sight, I can't deal with all my sin, the point he's trying to make is, eat humble pie. Eat humble pie and realise you need help. To realise you can't depend on yourself, but you actually need someone else. Verse 24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. You can't depend on yourself. It's stated clearly, you can't get righteous in God's sight. Your only option is to depend on the promise of God. And the promise of God, once again, you can become righteous. You can become good and just in God's sight and therefore enter into this amazing presence of God for eternity. You can become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the promise for us to depend on. You can be justified, which means made righteous without sin, when your faith is in Jesus. This is God's promise to you and to the rest of the world. Will you depend? Will you depend only on that? Only on Jesus Christ? God demonstrates that we need Jesus. Allow me to digress for a moment, to take a look at something else. Romans 6.23 reads, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. There's a very real consequence for not meeting God's righteous standard. It's not like, Obama, I'll live the way that God hasn't wanted me to. Oh well, let's go and see a movie. No, it's like, Obama... I haven't lived the way God has wanted me to. Bummer. Let's go and meet God. And when we all meet him, if we are not righteous in his sight, he won't welcome us into his presence. We have to understand that. He'll say, go away from my presence. Go to the place prepared for all unrighteous people. Go to that place where all the people go that don't like me. Go to hell. So to say that we can't meet God's righteous standard and therefore we need Jesus Christ to make us righteous is the understatement of the millennium. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now I know this is counterintuitive for us, it doesn't sit well with us, because we might feel like we need to do something ourselves. Or it doesn't sit well with us because we might think, man, I've done something so bad. How could God possibly forgive me and see me as righteous when I put my faith in Jesus? But it's God's promise to you. I wonder, will you depend on the eternally dependable God and his promise? Or will you depend on your undependable self? Verse 22 reads, The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So, depending on yourself, we've got to hear it. We'll never cut the mustard, but you can depend on God's promise in Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, Paul is delivering this very, very clear message. If you want to be certain about your relationship with God, if you want to be certain about your inheritance, With him forever, the message is depend on God and his promise of relationship through faith in Jesus. That's the message. That's the beautiful, overwhelmingly gracious and good message that God has for us tonight. You can depend on God and his promise to you that you can be made right in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. And the message has been given. The message has been given. I still have a question, and I wonder it's how we respond to this message. I wonder how you apply this truth to your life. How do you apply it? There might be some of us here tonight who are a bit like ducks. Ducks are pretty cool. I think they're the second fastest flying bird in the world. That's pretty cool. If you're a duck, good trait to have. But ducks are also very frustrating because you can't get them wet. Don't know why you want to, but if you want to, they're frustrating, right? You pour the water on them, but the water just beads up and it flows right off. Try as hard as you can. Throw water at them, hold them under the water, doesn't matter. I wonder if, if you are going to let this message just flow over you tonight. Just let it keep flowing over you. Let it keep flowing over you until it reaches the floor. Just like water off a duck's back. Let me urge you, please, please don't be like the duck in your response tonight. Perhaps you might respond to Jesus as you might an insurance policy tonight. There are a lot of people around, a lot of salespeople, and many of these salespeople are trying to sell you an insurance policy. I wonder if you've ever had people come to your door or call you up or whatever health insurance, life insurance, fun insurance, that's a credit card, house and contents insurance, car insurance. And the reason you get an insurance policy is not always because you actually need it. Now, the reason for many of these insurance policies is because you might just need it. You know, in case you need it, if something goes wrong, you've got your insurance policy. It's good to have some just in case something goes wrong. With an insurance policy, once you get one, the interesting thing is you don't really have to think about your provider anymore. So you just get your insurance policy and you go, sweet, I'm good. So it comes to AMP or Amy. It's like Amy who? I don't know, I don't care. Got my insurance policy. Now, tonight, as you hear this message that you can depend upon God and the promise of relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, don't treat it, please, like an insurance policy. Don't forget about your provider. The response that God wants from you tonight is first and foremost for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else for your salvation, for your being made right in God's sight, for your inheritance with God for eternity. Place your faith only in Jesus Christ, not in yourself. That's the first response. And the second one is that you would understand that by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you've just sold out your everything for God. Faith in Jesus Christ. And then the secondly response, understand you've just sold out everything for God. And this is a great positive. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you do, it's sold out. It's given over to Jesus. What would he have you do? Because you're living by faith now. So if Jesus is up for it, people, please hear me, if Jesus is up for it, You must be more and more up for it. Here's some thoughts to get you thinking. Is Jesus committed to his church, to encouraging his people? Whatever he's up for, you've got to be more and more up for as well. Is Jesus committed to loving the broken and downtrodden in a practical way? Is Jesus, as far as it is in his power, going to make peace with people who have wronged him? Is Jesus committed to loving those who don't know him yet? Reaching out to the lost? Is Jesus committed to reaching out and befriending people who aren't his friends yet? If Jesus is up for it, we must become more and more up for it. If our faith is in Jesus' response to, we've just sold out, Please hear me that it's not a, um, oh, I might think about selling out there. No, no, no. If your faith is in Jesus, you've sold out, which is a great thing to live more and more for the glory of God. The message has been given. We can depend on God and his promise of relationship and inheritance through faith in Jesus Christ. How will you respond? Please pray with me. Father God, we just... Um I want to say that you're great God and I think if we could just only get such a small understanding of who we are in you now Jesus and what this inheritance is that is upon us because of our relationship with you God we'd just be completely overwhelmed we'd realise it's worth selling out for just to give everything for you God And tonight, Father, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that our faith will just re-put that in you. we just put that back upon you, Jesus, and that our righteous status is just because of your grace and mercy in Jesus. We want to put our faith there, God, and we don't want to believe or depend on ourselves in any way for our forgiveness in your sight. And God, help us see who we are now in you, to live for you, to live your ways, Jesus. Please lead us, we pray, by your Spirit. And may you receive glory upon this whole earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.